Welcome to the Restoration Church Weekly Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you are inspired by today's podcast to pursue your God-given calling to reach just one more. Thanks for listening. Church. Uh, Dover, will you give a huge welcome to Plymouth, Bethlehem, Milton, and everybody joining us online? We are glad to be worshiping together. So grateful to get the opportunity to open the Bible together and to teach God's Word and to worship. Obviously, we're going to be joining everybody in Plymouth tonight, and so excited about that. There have been uh, just everyone is different because we don't have a we don't really have a a schedule of what we're going to do. We have a plan, and we on Sundays we're very we, we tend to be very scheduled, always leaving opportunity for God to want to shift things on prayer and worship nights. We're just really sitting back and saying, you know, we if we if we're going to do a couple songs and then pray together, we we just open as we get into the night to have our plan, an open hand on our plan, just allowing God to move in our midst. There's been uh, great miracles, great testimonies uh, through, through the years, and can't wait to see what happens tonight. This week, or this past week, Circle started, and uh, thank you everybody for just posting pictures and sharing with me about your circle, and I know some of you are in more than one, and uh, you don't get extra in heaven for that, but we're excited for you. If you didn't get a chance last week because uh, you just were like, oh my word, it's February already. It's practically 2025, all right? So uh, I'm already working on my calendar for, for next year. But uh, you can still jump in this week. So we just encourage you, go back online and, uh, and figure out which circle you can be a part of and get in and make some friends and study the study the Bible together. It will be great. Well, last week we started off this series free, and I'm going to tell you that was one for the ages. That was a message if you missed, you've got to listen to, because there is so much in that that God has for you to set you free, to change your life, uh, to help you just reconsider so, so many things of, of how you're living and what you're experiencing, and that's one you don't want to miss. And we don't want you to miss any of them, honestly, but there are times where it's just a, um, it, it is just, I don't know, I, it's hard because I'm the one who's preaching it, right? So it's like, <laughs> nice humble brag. <laughs> uh, but I'll be honest, some weeks I don't re-listen to uh, <laughs> Some weeks we delete off YouTube, but there are these weeks that, um, like last week, that, man, I just re-listen to it until you get it, until all of a sudden God unlocks something in your heart. We continue the series today. We're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. 
So you can look at that. If you get to Psalm, it's a couple books after that. So go ahead and grab your Bibles or grab your Bible apps and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I'm going to start off by reading these 10 verses together. And uh, we'll go through and we'll talk through the through these verses, through the message, but I want to read them together even though it, it, you know, even though that 10 verses is a lot to read because I want you to hear it all together in context. As Solomon is writing and teaching here in this passage, it's what we want to learn from and, and I just think putting it all together first will help us to capture the heart of it. So uh, turn there, pay attention, keep your mind engaged and let's hear what Solomon is writing. It starts here in verse number 10. It says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth? Except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much. But the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. There's another serious problem that I've seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour, and everything is lost. In the end, there's nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. And this, too, is a very serious problem. People leave this world no better off than when they came. All their hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Even so, I've noticed one thing, at least, that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. And we'll stop there. I got to tell you, that is such an interesting passage of scripture. And I'll say this too, all right, just a, a little off subject. We sometimes, I mean, there are parts of the Bible that are complicated and parts of the Bible that take very intense amount of study in order to understand and, and even still there are different parts of Christianity who disagree on the same passage of, of scripture. This what we read right here, I don't think it's very difficult to understand. You can read this, I think every middle schooler can read this and learn and hear the warning, but yet it is something that's difficult to, to live. It is one of those things that is one of those parts of scripture that are easy to understand and difficult to actually do. For example, another one I can think of, love your enemies. I get what that means. 
I'd like to pass on that. But this is like that. It's talking about wealth. It's talking about, about riches in a way that we would say, well, I'm not exactly sure if that's true. I'd like to try it first. Let me see how if being really wealthy is going to actually harm me. I want to look through a couple of the verses first off and, and to, to just highlight a few things that this passage is, is teaching. The first, which again, we, we maybe would argue with, but the first is that more is not the solution. And if you're if you've ever struggled financially, if you're struggling financially, if you lack or you have need of something or you just want more, we think that having more is going to be what makes things better and it is not. A famous quote, I don't remember who said it, whether it was Rockefeller or Turner or some other rich guy that said, how much money is enough? And they said, uh, the next dollar, right? Something like that. When will you know you have enough money when I get the next dollar? Then I'll have enough. And it's just this perpetual, I'll never feel satisfied in this. More is not the solution. Look back at this verse. It says, very beginning, verse number 10. Those who love money will never have enough. They'll never have enough. And you've got to recognize just a little bit of self-reflection here, a little bit of self-evaluation. Is what you're chasing a love for money or maybe a love for the things money buys? The prestige, the, the flexibility, the status. Your love for that will never be satisfied. And it goes on to say how meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. One of the things about our mission teams, and we, uh, I'm pretty sure that our Cuba trip is filled up now at this point, uh, but our, our, our teams to the orphanage in Tanzania, our teams to help build churches in Cuba, one of the things that is definitely a, um, a, a, a key like moment for people is when they realize how happy the people are that we're serving. It's usually one of the, everybody here is so happy. Everybody's so happy, everybody's so happy. We're looking at our miserable existence when we have really access to anything we ever want. We really lack nothing. And or we look at our kids, sometimes parents are looking, my kids are so spoiled and, and selfish and these kids are making toys out of garbage and water bottles, and they are, and they have no parents, and they are happy, happier than my own children. It causes us, right? It's this living in action. We see it. Every missions team, every mission trip, why? Why am I chasing something that is making me more miserable? And I think sometimes we can look at our life, and we can think, when I made half as much money as I do now, I was happier than I am now. You're beginning to see this playing out. We want to recognize that and step out of that chase. Within our church, or I'll just say within the United States, and I, I'm you know, going by averages, but the average household in the United States makes 10 times the income of the rest of the world. 
We've shared this before that, that if you make, the numbers have changed, um, but if you make something like over $45,000 a year, you're in the top 2% richest people in the world. When it talks in scripture about rich people, we tend to think it's about other people. It's about you, it's about me. We're the rich ones that scripture's talking about and warning. The second thing that we'll read in verse number 13 is that the lure of wealth distracts us from what matters most. Verse 13 says, it's another serious problem I've seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. There are one of the things that matter most. One of our core values is heritage. It is what I believe matters most, that we're not just thinking about our life, we're thinking about our children's children, we're thinking about the, the, the future generation that we won't meet. We're living our life to affect family members we'll never meet, hopefully in a positive way, not in a negative way. Things that matters most, I believe ministry is what matters most. We are the church, we are the bride of Christ is how it's described theologically. We are the body of Christ. It is the most, it is without the, without the church, without a local church, there is no one to preach the good news. There is, there is not a body doing ministry. There's not a body bringing people to know the Father. And then another thing, what matters most, eternity. And we... For many of us, we're not thinking, even if we've given our life to Jesus, we're not thinking eternity-minded. So how does wealth distract us? It, it goes on and shows us a few things in what we've just read. So those who are, who are falling victim to the lure of wealth, the first thing, they lose now. We see this in verse number 14. And what does it say? Money is put into risky investments that turn sour and everything is lost. You know, anytime we, uh, I've been lead pastor, how long now? 11 years? 12 years? And, um, and every, anytime we teach about money, there's always a brand new example of, of some horrible financial fraud that's taken place in the world. So the most famous one right now is that of FTX. And so by January of 2022, they convinced all these people to invest their money in this new cryptocurrency, and the company was worth $32 billion. Uh, by the end of November 2022, so is that nine or 10 months later, 11 months later, it turned out it was discovered to be a major fraud, and billions of dollars were lost by companies and investors billions of dollars because they because people put their trust in some guy with a perm <laughs> people thought oh this is my way this is my way to get rich i'm pretty sure every evil movie every evil villain movie i have ever watched in my life looked like that guy it's like it's all set up if someone if I go in my house in the middle of the night and someone's in there with a hockey mask, I don't assume there's a pickup game going on in the street. I, anyway, a little off. But what is it? It's a lure. It's a lure. So you, you lose now. You end up losing money. 
in, in, in a partnership, in, uh, you know, it, 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 so many clever ways to help you lose it. Second thing is they lose for generations. Verse number 14, same verse. It says, in the end, there's nothing left to pass on to one's children. Now, certainly it's talking here financially, but we've got to think beyond just financially because there's more to learn here and there's more that we pass on, which is part of heritage than just a few dollars. But Proverbs 13, 22 says, good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth is passed, is passes to the godly. And there are things that we're leaving, the lure of wealth, you know, you lose now, you can lose family, you can lose influence, you can lose memories, but you lose for generations because there's not memories being shared on, there's not things that you've taught, values that you've instilled, and testimonies that you've helped create that are now being passed on for generations. And the third thing that we lose when we follow the lure of wealth is that we, we lose for eternity. We lose now, we lose for generations, and we lose for eternity. Verse number 16, and this too is a very serious problem. People leave this world no better off than when they came. All their hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. Part of this is us having to understand that when we die, it's not the end. And when we die, we don't just enter a perpetual worship service. Or we don't just enter a perpetual song service, because I do believe worship is much more than singing. So we don't just enter a perpetual uh, song service where you know, all the greatest choirs from history all take turns leading for an hour. There is a life and an economy in the, new, in the life after this one. There's recreation and fun and enjoyment and hobby and work that you like. It, is, it all exists. There, there's much more in eternity than we think. So we're not thinking about living for eternity. We're not thinking about what we're going to experience in eternity. And so we're just focused on, I need to experience everything I can hear right now. Matthew 6.20, Jesus taught this. He says, store your treasures in heaven. That This is not just a, um, he's not just being poetic here. He's teaching us that, th that what we're doing here, there is a way to set aside things in heaven. That there'll be more for us to enjoy. It says, don't store um, so store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves did not break in and steal. Set it up. Send it on ahead. And there's a way we do that spiritually and there's a way we do that in the natural. Bringing your kids to church, letting them meet their heavenly father, allowing them to have a relationship with, heavenly, with their heavenly father. What are you doing? You're, uh, you're helping to confirm the fact that you'll be with each other in that eternity. They'll be, you'll, you'll be there, you'll see each other, they'll be experienced there. The other thing in Psalm 119, verse number two, it says, they share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. 
And I hope that in my family, as we're raising our boys, I hope that the way I'm interacting with them, the memories we're making, the, the, the values of church and ministry, the love for Jesus that I'm putting in them, I hope it will be remembered, though future generations will never know my name, but that they'll be living in a blessing that I helped to establish. They'll experience that my influence will last way longer than my life. A question to ask us, the third thing to ask in the scripture, so let me backtrack here a little bit. We're in Ecclesiastes 5. More is not the solution. Having more, having more, it's not going to solve your problems. There's something deeper. There's something more important. Second, the lure of wealth, it distracts us from what matters most. It distracts us and we end up losing now. We end up losing generations. We end up losing for eternity. But here's the third thing we see in this scripture and the third thing to ask ourselves. What is the fruit of your current life. So we're really introspective, all right? I'm not pointing fingers at you. I want you to search, evaluate your heart and your life. What is the fruit of your current life? Verse number 17 says this. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. It's the fruit of... Loving wealth, that's the fruit of needing more. That's the fruit of chasing contentment, chasing fulfillment in something other than Christ. This is, this is the flip side of a principle we learn in scripture called sowing and reaping. You've sowed your life into chasing wealth, into chasing money, and, and the reaping here is living under a, a cloud, being frustrated, discouraged, and angry. This principle of sowing and reaping, we see it in two, uh, a couple of different places in Scripture throughout the Old Testament, but as it's taught in the New Testament, helping us to understand it, Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. And then, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but one who plants generously will get a generous crop. What's the fruit of your current life? One thing that, we're, that we've got to recognize is that we've got to begin to sow seeds for different fruit than what we're experiencing. So if you, like, I don't, you begin to, the marriage you have right now, you're reaping because of the seeds you've sown into it. And so if your marriage is gonna become different, if it's gonna transform, you've gotta start sowing some new seeds in it. Seeds of forgiveness, seeds of patience, seeds of grace, seeds of kindness, seeds of self-control, seeds of affirmation, seeds of empathy. And you begin sowing those seeds. And it takes some time but it begins to grow and cultivate, and eventually it will overtake the weeds that have grown up. 
you don't like the fruit you have with your kids, sometimes you got to start sowing some seeds of discipline. And that that now is going to, over time, cultivate and cause different growth. I remember a, a few different times in our marriage when I would say to Michelle, I, you know, one of our kids, he's got this behavior and I'm sick of it. It's got to go now. And I'd say for the next two weeks, we, we never give in. For the next two weeks, we're going to hone in on this behavior. And well, obviously, we're not going to surprise the kid, but it'll be a conversation. Hey, you've been saying no every time I ask you to do a chore. That's not going to happen anymore. Here's what the consequence will be. And then, just to help them, I usually give them extra chores to get them more practice. <laughs> but you begin sowing seeds of discipline because you can see it going a direction. The best time to, to weed a garden is when the weeds are this big, not when you can hardly see the tomato plant around, you know, around everything else. Killing it and stopping it before the weeds get deep. But if the weeds get deep, listen, you can keep tilling that, soiling that, it, uh, uh, tilling that, weeding that. It will change if you keep putting in the right fruit. And this is, of course, true financially. The financial outlook of your life, where you are financially, is that one of peace? Is it one of kindness? Is it one of, of or is it one of, of stress, or is it one of, uh, of maybe even greed or materialism? You begin to see and recognize that, and what will you do to sow different seeds in that? That's why I bring my kids on mission trips. I want them to see, as young boys, how other people live, not having that revelation when they're 55, oh, everybody's so happy. They're much happier here with nothing than we are in our country with everything. Sowing different seeds. And our marriage, our kids, our friendships, our finances, even our devotions. What's the fruit coming from your life? In, um, I have a scripture here, but I don't know my, my uh, I never wrote where it was. So I'm going to read a verse. It's verse 10 somewhere in the Bible. It says, for God, is the, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Let's begin, right? Teaching that when we're sowing new seeds, God begins to add to that as well. And yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer. God's our source. God's the one who's promised to take care of us. God's the one who's given you everything that you have, everything that you ever will have. He will provide for, what's the promise here? Sowing and reaping. He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. This is, this is not the lore of wealth. So we're not giving to 
fill ourselves up and to backtrack it, some backwards way of accessing God so that we can chase wealth. I, you know, people try to do that. This is saying, okay, God, what's the fruit you want in my life? God wants you to have the fruit of generosity because what is a generous person like? How does a generous person live their life? What joy does a generous person experience? It's unending joy. Have you ever helped someone and thought, I wish I could do that all the time? You know what? God wants you to do that all the time. As a church, it brings great joy to us when we go to Cuba and bring $15,000 to sow into the churches there to help them fund their church construction projects. It's a great, you know what? We, we did it once and we're like, while we were still in Cuba, the whole group was like, let's do this again. Next year, we put it on the calendar while we were still in Cuba. Let's do this again. This was rewarding. This was great. This was this was be- even with, uh, even with all the sickness, it, the stoic, it was good. And if no one's feeling like, I got to go again next year, everybody signed up, everybody's excited, everybody wants to sow into those churches again. As we come to the end here, I want to try to help you to take steps to try to sow some seeds, all right? So um, there's a few ways to think about it, and I might ramble here a little bit because I've got so many thoughts going in, into my head. I, I want to be as helpful to you as possible. The uh, annual household income in New Hampshire is like $94,000 a year. I think that's New Hampshire household income. So let's cut that in half, all right? If our, if the, you know, kind of the average household income would be $40,000, $50,000. And you would say in your life, you know what, I want to I wanna figure out how to do that. I want to figure out how to give. I want to figure out how to, how to tithe. I want to figure out how to stop chasing money and to just step into God's economy, to step into the things that God has for me. I don't want to live for today. I want to live for tomorrow, for eternity, for generations, for generosity, for the kingdom of God. But I don't know how to do it, Pastor. I can't figure out how to make that step. So I'm going to teach this in, in passing right now. We, we, may, um, we, we may develop this next year or something, but something that's been rattling around in my head is couch to 5K. So I, you know, if you've never run before and you're going to try running a 5K, you, you can download a podcast, and I've done it before, and, um, and every three days a week, You just listen to the podcast and it tells you what to do. All right, now you're going to run for 60 seconds. Good job. Now walk for 10 minutes. Now you're going to run for, and 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 I remember, because I was never a runner, all right? But I remember the first time um, that I ran for 20 minutes straight. And I was so, I never thought I could do it. And finally, because of Couch to 5K, I don't know what week it was, week six, week seven, I finally did it. And I remember like, I can't believe I actually did that. I never would have tried to do it because I, it seemed so impossible. And then eventually I ran one of the slowest 5Ks in, in the world. But I was, I'm just glad to be a record setter, all right? And eventually did it. And I had never had a desire. And I, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't like it. I don't want to do it again. But, uh, 
but it was something I never thought we could do. How do you get if, so how do we get from, from, from the couch to giving, to tithing, maybe if it's 5K, 5K a year, that's the sim- symbolic, the, the metaphor. How do you get from couch to 5K? We talked about this before, I'll share it again. I got a picture to put on the screen for you. And I'm not asking everybody to, to live their life the way Michelle and I and our boys live. Um, we've been running this for a long time. I talked about last, maybe it wasn't last week, but I started tithing as a 14-year-old when I was making $40 a week. So I've been doing this for a long time, all right? And, uh, and, and so I'm not expecting you to jump in when you've been following Jesus for a year to the level I've at, but you're welcome to. But how do you, because some of you are just natural runners, right? You're natural givers, so it's gonna be easy for you. But some of you, too much Halo and Call of Duty, all right, uh, that you've gotta start, start small. So here's where we are. Uh, some of you are right here. It's an initial giver. You've never given before. And it would be, you maybe would have this thought, I'm gonna try this out. Or, um, you, I, I, yeah, I, I would like to give, and, and so you just do it one time. It would kind of be like, um, you've never run before. You're like, I think I'm going to go run. And you go outside, and you run. I'm like, I still got it. <laughs> Ran to the mailbox and, and ran back. And you're like, feels good to be young. Uh, but so just this initial gift, I think that's great. Getting off the couch is a good thing. The next place is is this consistent giver, and this, I think this is the majority of, or there are a lot of people in Restoration Church who are here, that they give regularly, but not as a percentage. So you give regularly, but it'll kind of just depend on sometimes what's in your wallet, or, or it'll be, oh, that missionary, or oh, that Kingdom Builders project, oh, oh yeah, I remember, and certainly I, you know, in my early 20s, I kind of got out of the practice of tithing on every paycheck, and I would give, but uh, I would all of a sudden realize, oh my word, I don't think I've given for three months, and then I'd try to catch up, and sometimes my tithe was more than what was in my bank account, and so I'd be trying to catch up, but at the end of the year, if I, I was giving regular, I was giving consistent, but I wasn't quite giving a tithe, and I wasn't giving deliberately. The, the third thing is this intentional giver. And this is someone who says, I give a percentage, but not yet 10%. So I'm going running. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm running this race, but I'm not in, you know, I'm not deliberate. I'm not like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's just when I feel like it, I, I'm giving a percentage, but I'm not yet at 10%. The next part is surrendered living. And this is those who say, all right, yes, I, 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 I'm giving 10%. This is the place that I'm uh, uh, obedient to, uh, according to scripture, and I'm doing this and practicing this. And again, there's so many of us there from teenagers to those on social security, people who are making very little, people who are making more than that, many people who've taken this step and surrendered. And the last step here, extravagant giver, this is for us what we talk about kingdom builders giving. I give beyond 10% of my income 
to Restoration Church. And so Michelle and I, for transparency for you, uh, we tend to hover around 30% of our income that we're giving away annually. Uh, we, we tithe to our, our we, where we hold, I hold Assembly of God credentials. We then give uh, to the church and we then give to Kingdom Builders. And it, that's where we've been at more years than not. I think we, oh, the highest we've ever been at was 40% during a season when God called us to give way beyond that. And then, and then there's years where we're a little bit under that, um, but, uh, but always more than 10%. And that's for us. That's how we've lived. And some of you are like, that's crazy. And that's how I feel, feel about people who run marathons. And I have a friend who ran an ultra marathon. And that some of you have ran like 24 hour uh, running events. That's how I feel about you, all right? Um, <laughs> But it's, but what did they, they, they started somewhere, right? So where are you on this? What have you experienced on this? And I would just encourage you to begin to take that next step. I'm not telling you to jump from here to here, but, and, and, but maybe God will tell you to do that. But for you to say, where are we? How do we take that next step? You know, single mom and uh, a lot of mouths to feed. What do you do? Well, maybe you just begin... Um, you know, that, that $5 a week, that $10 a week, and just set it consistent. And that's going to be the step that you, that you take. I want you to find that out. I want you to figure that out. I want you to talk to God about that. And then just begin to building the rhythm, building the rhythm. Well, listen, I want to pray for you. And then we will uh, be... Uh, bringing our services to an end and then gathering back up tonight in Plymouth. Listen, church, if you weren't here last week, uh, you didn't hear me say it, I just want to say it again. I want you to experience what my family's experienced. I grew up in a Christian house, all right? And I'm not putting my parents down in case they're watching this. I, I, I love my parents. They, they, they've served the Lord. They brought me to church every single week. But they, they never made it here. They were here. They always gave, but they never made it to the consistent tithing level while I was a kid. And I, I recognize and, and, and conceive the drastic difference between how my parents lived and how we live with our children. The, Michelle and I don't fight about money. Even early on in our marriage, we didn't fight about money. We cried about money. <laughs> but it was a recognizing early on in our marriage, saying, hey, God's going to take care of us. 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 And he has. And I want you to experience that. I want you to love out your stories. I want you to store up some treasures of your own in heaven. I want you to create that heritage for your family. Jesus, we love you so much. And I thank you for teaching us through stories, you know, sowing and reaping to help us understand what that's like to, when you taught about the kingdom to show us that it's not just going to be a song service where we listen to people sing over and over and over again for eternity, but that there's life after this one. There's things to experience. There's going to be 
create joy and recreation and fun and, and there's gonna be jobs and, and things that we do that we all contribute to each other. And we have a chance now to set aside things for heaven, for the future, but also we have a chance right now to experience you in, in our life today, to step into your economy, to step into life following you, where we experience you, you move on our behalf, we experience you taking care of us and providing for us, we experience the great fruit and joy that it is when we're following you in this way and trusting you in these areas of our life. We thank you for Solomon's writing and the warnings he's put in here and some that I've fallen trapped to, some certainly that we've all fallen trapped to, but we pray, God, that you would, uh, we, we would trust you, we would listen to these warnings, we'd, we'd stop being lured by wealth and instead, God, you just shift us, reframe us and allow us to develop into something else. And Jesus, as people take a step today to, um, to take a step up that ladder, a step more, uh, essentially trusting you more with, with a, more of their heart, more of their life, I just pray that you would j- just quickly affirm them as they take these steps and that they see your hand on their life. And as we take these steps towards you, we, we'd never turn back, but we'd, we'd serve you and have faithful obedience over the long haul of our life and begin to just recognize that we'll be affecting generations and influencing generations by how we live this week and how we live this life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.